Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. On the program today, last week, the president signed into law the Inflation Reduction Act. We will get into everything that that means, this $773 billion piece of legislation and how it impacts you. Plus, Liz Cheney last week lost her primary in Wyoming. Nick and I will give some takeaways on the representative losing her seat as the GOP impeachment 10, as they like to call it, another person lost uh, to a primary. And later on in the program, Robert Lucetich, he's a fantastic golf journalist and author. He's going to be on the program with us to talk a little bit about the Rise of Live Tour and this battle with the PGA Tour right now that's ongoing. You may have seen some news making headlines about the DOJ potentially investigating the PGA Tour for antitrust uh, violations. You've got what's happening with Live and how they're funded through the Saudi Arabian government. Robert's going to break all of that down. He does fantastic work. And he's got a fantastic book out there as well uh, called Unplayable, an inside account of Tiger's most tumultuous season. You can get that book now wherever books are sold. And in our last segment, Nick and I will bid adieu to another show, Nick, another one we've outlasted here. 
Uh, first, I say hello to Mr. Severi. I've seen you a few days in a row now. I don't need to know how you're doing, but how was your weekend, sir? It was good. Uh, yeah, we were away obviously last week. Um, got back, and then yeah, unfortunately we had a, you know just a death in the family. So you know this week's been about attending services, reconnecting with family. Um, Sorry, but about yeah, that. it was a person. Thank you. But it was a uh, member of our family who lived a long life. So we're um, is this mix of sorrow for obviously their passing, but then also um, just a sense of just relief in the person's ability to move on. I won't get necessarily to faith here, but you know, this is the the beginning of the next stage in this person's life. And we were there to to say goodbye, but then also welcome the next place that he moves on to. So, yeah. That's, I'm sorry to hear that, man. You never ask me how I'm doing ever, ever. Where's, where's the asking, Mike, how was your weekend? So I attended the funeral, Mike. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. I went to the uh, the Raiders-Dolphins preseason game on Saturday down here in Miami. So got to see a quarter of, of what some of our team will look like. But uh, I digress from sports because we're going to get into sports later on in the program. And we're going to get into, for the people that don't watch sports, by the way, and we've done a few sports topics on this show Nick and I really try to break it down, you know, so you get informed without actually having to watch the sport, play the sport. We're going to get into the sports angle with the PGA Tour and stuff later on. That interview with Rob Lucetich was was great. He's fantastic. Um, let's get into our first segment, though, Nick. Uh, last week, I mentioned it at the top. President Biden signing this huge piece of legislation that was approved by the Senate and the House of Representatives along party lines, of course. The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 $773 billion piece of legislation that includes $433 billion of new investments in initiatives related to climate change. It authorizes Medicare to negotiate pharmaceutical prices and implement various tax reform measures. This is all facts and figures according to the Council of State Governments. You can check it out at csg.org. Uh, the $433 billion in new investments includes the following tax rebates and credits for households to lower energy costs and tax credits, loans and grants to increase the domestic production of wind turbines, solar panels, batteries, and other energy production and storage. The bill also supports the creation of clean energy jobs and workforce deployment in disadvantaged communities. We're going to get into that in a second. Uh, tax credits for lower and middle income families to encourage the sale of new and used electric vehicles. That is a, a big thing. If you've been to a dealership lately and have tried to get a car, uh, <laughs> trying to negotiate with them. They are, there's no more negotiating with car dealerships anymore. I've seen that play out, not only with me, myself buying a car recently, but my mother-in-law. Um, authorization for Medicare to negotiate the price of prescription drugs. This bill adjusts the annual cap for Medicare enrollees pay for out-of-pocket costs for prescription drugs to 2000 The current cap is at 7000 so uh, there's a bunch in here, like I mentioned, uh, csg.org, or you can check it out also at whitehouse.gov. There's a fact sheet report up there from the briefing room and, and everything that President Biden said. And let's hear from the president last week as he touted uh, this bill and signed it with a bunch of different people sitting in the room. And every single Republican in the Congress sided with the special interest in this vote. Every single one. In fact, the big drug big drug companies spent nearly one hundred million dollars to defeat this bill. A hundred million dollars. And remember, every single Republican in Congress voted against this bill. Every single Republican in Congress voted against lowering prescription drug prices. 
against lowering health care costs, against the fairer tax system. Every single Republican, every single one, voted against tackling the climate crisis, against lowering our energy costs, against creating good-paying jobs. My fellow Americans, that's the choice we face. We can protect the already powerful or show the courage to build a future where everybody has an even shot. You know, if you remember a few weeks back uh, when we were talking about the PACT Act and we played a clip from Senator Toomey and Senator Toomey had mentioned this is something Democrats do where they try to cram a bunch into a bill and then name it something and then pick like isolation, one group that will be affected, but yet they try to squeeze in other things. I feel like there is some truth into that. We mentioned it in a couple other bills where certain things were, you know, uh, you look in the bill and you're like, why is this in there? This has nothing to do with inflation reduction. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not an economist. We're going to have somebody actually coming on the program to talk about some of that. But here's uh, one thing that I saw, and he just mentioned it there, about making the tax code fairer, right? Um, one thing that um, whitehouse.gov, no family making less than 400000 per year will see their taxes go up by a single cent. This is basically cracking down on millionaires, billionaires, and corporations that evade their obligations, uh, imposing a 1% surcharge on corporate stock buybacks to encourage businesses to invest instead of enriching CEOs or funneling profit tax-free shareholders. There's a bunch in investing in revitalizing American manufacturing uh, through clean energy supply chains. Um, Nick, some of your takeaways, uh, not only hearing the president there, but you saw the bill come down last week. Uh, everybody's been trying to get President Biden to pass something along the lines that will actually tackle climate change and inflation. The Democrats combined the two. And economists have, I mean, depends upon the economists that you find across the different networks or outlets. Some say this will actually reduce uh, inflation. Some say it won't. So if we're trying to take the bill at face value for what it's named for, right, we may not meet that goal. But the overall, the other things that have been packed into the bill, like the things with clean energy jobs and, and the dedication to wind and solar power, uh, then, yeah, eventually we will get better results of reducing our carbon emission and things like that. What were some of your takeaways from the president there and the bill overall? Yeah, it's um, I'm in the same wavelength, you know, to call it an Inflation Reduction Act. You know, when we look at the language and this is just directly a one pager from uh, the Democrats, you know, at Senate.gov, um, you know, total revenue raise, Mike, you, you hit on all of them. You know, corporate minimum tax, prescription drug pricing reform. You know, you break that down. Fun fact, the prescription drug pricing reform is actually where the majority of the money is coming from at $265 billion. Total revenue raise is $737 billion, you know, obviously. Total investments $437 billion, which leads to a total deficit reduction, very simple subtraction of $300 billion. Numbers can be boring, right? But you know, it's a good question. You know, does this offset anything um, in terms of inflation? You know, it seemed like the way that the focus here is, you know, being able to put a cap on, you know, some prescription drug prices. That's important. I mean, that alone you could have called you, the name of the bill could have been different. And I guess, you know, I maybe bring up semantics, but yeah, that is a question I have. Like, does this change? You know, if inflation for us means that ordinary things you purchase, everything from milk to gas to you know any household item, utilities. All has been all has been going up. That's what we're all experiencing. You know, the price of common goods increases. That's usually when we're in inflation. Not that I'm an economist, obviously. Um, does this change anything? 
I, I'm not sure. I, I kind of lean toward maybe, <laughs> but this does this the bill does hit on some things that we needed to see, and I think that's a huge win for the Democrats. And Mike, we've been talking a lot about everything but you know legislative victories for this administration, which is the complete opposite of what we've seen in the previous administration. And I'm not leaning left or right here. I'm just saying the facts. You know, previous administration, the only thing that. Trump administration managed to get through was two things. One is three Supreme Court justices, which is a very important detail. But then the other was a was a tax cut. But other than that, it's very hard to find for me a legislative victory or even any legislative legacy you know, from the Trump presidency. In the case of Joe Biden, however, we are seeing a couple of them actually coming through this year. Um, you know, one of the most important details here is you know to get this through was done through reconciliation. You know, there was something that Republicans were furious about. Um, not that I really care right now about this version of Republicans and whether they're angry or not. But you know, the ability with 51 votes to be the one being obviously Vice President, you know, Harris, um, you know, being able to get something through. You know, typically you need those 60 votes, but reconciliation is just the ability to get right over the hump. And this deal that the Democrats had cut with um, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Along with you know Kristen Sinema of Arizona, allowed them to get this through the end zone, and that was a huge priority for Joe Biden. Does it hit on everything that was hoped for? You know, with Biden's presidency getting launched, no, it doesn't. But in the end, there's great things that come for Americans, and in the end, you're also reducing the budget, which always is something that people always question. Um, you know, so in in total, this this is a good deal, um, but I, it is a good question. Like, does this answer what the, the bill's named after? And that that on that one, I'm a maybe. Right. I heard that on another podcast. I, I, wanted to, I don't want to take credit for that, but somebody, somebody, I forget what publication they were at, but they said that. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You are right. Uh, you know, uh, by the way, the Republicans, Democrats too, um, whenever there's messaging and you heard it there in President Biden hammering home how every Republican didn't vote on this, every Republican, I mean, that is language that you normally see with the Republican Party, right? Like messaging in terms of all being unified. And we've seen it with other representatives on the Democratic side post the bill being signed, doing different pressers across, whether it's in the House of Representatives, you know, a press conference room or it's on the on the steps of the Capitol post this talking about the insulin cap, right. And not paying for uh, the, the, the cost to reduce the, the price of insulin. Um, but I was thinking about this um, would the founders uh, really want our democracy and legislation to get passed on the back of just one person from a small state in West Virginia? Like, did you think, do you think that they wrote all of this stuff up so that way it could just come down to one guy in West Virginia, who lives on his boat, by the way, um, who's not up for his seat is not up until 2024. So we have to live with him for, you know, a couple more years. Like, do you think that that's what they intended there, Nick? Uh, it was a, it's a rhetorical question, but go ahead. I know you wanted to chime in. Yeah, sure. That. Well, I, I always nerd out about this stuff because, you know, behind the scenes, um, I'm very vocal that our current model of 50 states and the way this country operates in its form of a representative democracy is questionable uh, for a variety of reasons, one of which we'll be getting to when we talk about the state of Wyoming in a moment. Um, but I don't know. I mean, again, you're talking about 13 territories you know, at the founding of this country. And at, at the time, you could make an argument that from a population standpoint, Virginia is as important or as viable as New York, Good right? Point. Like these 13 colonies soon becoming states, that made sense. We're now in a place where if you're analyzing population 
from the most densely popular, most populated state in the country all the way down to the smallest. Um, it's such a huge disparity that you do have to ask yourself that if the Senate is designed to have two people representing every single state, but there's a gross disp- disproportional number living in some states, why in the world does that make any sense? But that's a bigger conversation I always have about the House of Representatives. That right. um, you know the, the the fact that we have congressional districts and gerrymandering, and there's a lot of things you call in the question that you have to call in the question if you've studied you know American history at all. But yeah, to your to your question, I don't. I can't imagine they foresaw this. I don't think at all the thinking was you're going to extend, you know, to the western borders, you know, of this territory. It's basically the east coast and then, you know, over time, you know, the continued expansion, but you kept holding to these principles that may not necessarily have made sense. And that is the foundational argument that we see played out, you know, among conservative justices and justices who want to have more progressive thinking in the Supreme Court. Well, one thing I know the founders would say is, what the hell is Wyoming? And uh, who's Liz Cheney? Uh, Let's get into Representative Cheney losing her primary last week. Um, There was obviously a couple of different races that happened in Wyoming and Arizona. We're going to cover what happened in Wyoming with Representative Cheney, because obviously very important in in, in terms of, I mentioned it at the top in the intro about the the GOP-10 from the House that voted to impeach President Trump the second time after what happened in January 6th, a few are not running for re-election, like Representative Kinzinger, uh, Representative Anthony Gonzalez. A few have lost their primaries already in states. And this was kind of like the last domino to fall uh, in terms of Representative Liz Cheney being the last person to fall. She won the she won back in 2018, I believe it was, or 2016, 73% of the vote in Wyoming. Wyoming only has a single a representative. So they so she won with a large majority of the people voting for her, and she lost her seat to Harriet Hegman, or at least she lost the GOP seat to Harriet Hegman, who has been, you know, very vocal, similar to what we did with Carrie Lake in Arizona, uh, about the widespread election fraud. I'm using air quotes for those of you not watching on YouTube. Uh, this is another Trump-aligned candidate. Who And there's a bunch of others that have won primaries in swing states such as Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, where Nick lives with Doug Mastriano. And we have a few in the Senate in Georgia, obviously with Herschel Walker in Ohio and in Pennsylvania with Dr. Oz. Um, First, I want to play a clip from Representative Cheney and what she said last week uh, as she gave her concession speech. Uh, Take a listen to what she said here. Two years ago, I won this primary with 73 percent of the vote. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear. But it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. It would have required that I enable his ongoing efforts to unravel our democratic system and attack the foundations of our republic. That was a path I could not and would not take. You know, one thing I did want to mention, uh, Wyoming's electorate is almost entirely Republican. There's more than 215,000 registered Republicans in the state of Wyoming compared to just 36,000 registered Democrats. So obviously, <laughs> whoever wins the GOP nomination is almost assured, well, not almost assured, unless every single Republican decides to change their vote there, you would need a bunch. Uh, so uh, Harriet Hagman will be a U.S. House of Representative member starting in November. Um, you know, one of the things I found interesting, Nick, was they did some, you know, exit polling. And obviously there's been 
a bunch leading up that this was inevitable that she was going to lose her seat. So there's been a lot of like uh, early polling to suggest that she wasn't going to win. And then obviously with the politics playing out with what she just said there in terms of like being on the committee and and going up against, you know, Senator um, uh, Representative McCarthy and, and and being on this committee and and kind of going against his wishes to be on that, just like Adam Kinzinger. And then what happened is, is that some of these focus groups, I saw some data come out and some quotes attributed to people. There was this one woman, for example, Janelle Thomas, I think I'm saying her name correctly. They asked her about why she voted for Higman. And she said, I want Wyoming to be protected. And I don't feel Liz is doing that job. This woman lives in the coal mining town of, of Rock Springs in Southwest Wyoming. You know, uh, they can say whatever they want about Trump. She continues, but he did a damn good job. You know, she's with Nancy Pelosi now is something that this woman echoed. So I wanted to get and then one one other thing, uh, Catherine Norsworthy, another 68 year old out in Jackson, Wyoming, said she, she switched from being an unaffiliated voter to a Republican to vote for Hegman because Trump endorsed her. And she said, I'm not in favor of the January 6 hearings at all. I didn't like her voting against Trump, a very pro Trump. I listened to him. Now, remember, I just told you how many registered Republicans are out there. Uh, and there's just an example of how we talked about on this show. And we've talked about it with a few different people, how January 6th to some people is just, you heard Jack Del Real say, right? The defensive coordinator for the commanders, just a dust up, right? Just another day, just another day at the office, Nick, you know, just, you know, 40, 50,000 people, you know, storming some government buildings, you know, a few hundred million in property, five police officers dead, you know, subsequent post that. Uh, a couple people that were protesting, uh, you know, but, but just a normal day, you know, just a just a regular old Tuesday, Nick, uh, out in D.C., which we will be in D.C. towards the end of October. Uh, I want to get your takeaways on all of this. And obviously, first, let's start with Representative Cheney losing her seat. It was inevitable that this was going to happen, but to lose it again to somebody that will assuredly now be in the U.S. House of Representatives that will be part of this, and I've, I've mentioned them before, the Freedom Caucus with these morons. And I and I, I will strongly use morons because we, I think the Democrats and Republicans, establishment Republicans can agree. They're morons. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis, Louis Gohmert, Lauren Boebert, this woman will now be in that group, Matt Gates, Jim Jordan. You know, I don't have to mention the rest of the names. You know who they are, Elise Stefanik. The, these people are disingenuous. They're not serious. They don't, they don't come out with any type of policy. We've seen none of them write serious policy. Marjorie Taylor Greene the other day is trying to impeach Merrick Garland. I mean, come on. I, you know, so uh, we can't take these people serious. But now, unfortunately, they're starting to get more and more seats. Right. Uh, give me some of your takeaways of Representative Cheney losing her seat and, and everything overall that we just talked about. Yeah. You know, one of the quotes from Representative Cheney was, um, you know, she's a conservative, but, you know, she puts part, she puts the country over party. Some version of that she had said, um, you know, Tuesday during the election, just before she conceded. Uh, and I, I respect I respect the hell out of her for it. You know, there's probably there's very little I imagine politically we'd agree on. Um, but I've always admired the fact that she she took the hard road. She took the road that was going to lead to this result um, by helping to spearhead the January 6th commission. You know, and for anyone who has watched any of the um, you know televised proceedings, you know, she she brings that energy that that doesn't lean you know one way or the other it's in pursuit of the facts like she's basically taking you know can we please talk please talks podcasts our ethos you know to to congress you know and it's that's extremely admirable um mike you know to to 
Harriet Hagman. Um, I want to read something. This is from her website. You know, sometimes when you're when you're curious about where a candidate stands, you go to the website and you read the issues. Now, whether they wrote it or not, who knows? But this is on their website. This is what they stand for. Uh, and I find some of these things ironic. Um, the, this is from her website under issues. Actually, this is under the category of protecting our constitution, which again, state of Wyoming, not around when the constitution was created. So can't what wait, are we talking can't about? Wait to, can't wait to hear this. This is going to be fantastic. The left has unleashed an onslaught on our constitution. Oh, and yeah. They are working their way down the list of freedoms, like the freedom to have an abortion. Hmm. Well, that's not They have decided must be taken away. They want to eliminate freedom of speech. You mean like not letting people decide what books to use in school, like we're seeing in Tennessee or in Florida. Dissolve our right to keep and bear arms. Mm, if you have a machine gun, yes. And seize our private property, just to name a few. Um, our rights are not allowances from the government that can be so easily destroyed. Freedom and liberty are inherent in each of us. Written in a document that was by people who did not think women nor pe black people have those same privileges. I'm supposed to take that shit seriously. All right, fine. Um, it's this, Mike, the reason I read that is there's nothing here surprising. It's this deluded conservative ideology based on a premise that the founders of the constitution would have wanted things to work this way as it is now. It's the justice Scalia argument, right? And it's, 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 just, it's it, no, no, <laughs> not at all. Um, and this is what the, this is what Trumpers do. Um, it wouldn't have mattered who went up against Cheney in the Republican primary. She was going to lose like you know, the, the mega movement as related to where she stood, anyone backed by Trump was going to get, um, was was going to win that election to the per to the lengths that it went. I mean, Cheney only carrying about 29% of the vote um, is telling, but let's all remember something folks. Population of Wyoming is about 570 or 581,000. Last time I checked uh, the other day, uh, I was simply curious because fun fact, Wyoming has only one congressional district, the entire state. Yes. <laughs> you know, in the house of representatives, you have by proportional, by proportion, by your census, you dictate how many seats you have, right? Wyoming only adds up to one. Um, but for so small a size and for such a tiny population, um, this is the ideology. This is what carries. Uh, in the end, um, by votes, uh, Cheney only carried maybe like two of the um, counties basically in Wyoming. So, you know, to be principled is sometimes to lose these elections. But one thing that, that we're going to see, Mike, is that um, something I've noticed is that at these re representative levels, you know, in districts where Marjorie Taylor Greene is, where Lauren Bobert is, um, you know, they're going to win. They're going to pull well in their district. But so will Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, in Minnesota, um, you know, Ilhan Omar you know, had kept her or like, you know, defeat her primary opponent, uh, Rashida Tlaib in, in Michigan did the same, you know, in these districts, these, you know, the, that's where these personalities thrive. You know, they represent, represents maybe a loaded word here, but they seem to gel well with the majority of the people who vote in that area. It's at a statewide standpoint where this gets interesting. Technically, you can argue that Wyoming is a statewide election because it's only one congressional seat. But we're talking about 580 voters, 580,000 citizens, of which we have to look at the percentage of registered voters and see where we play out. But I agree, it's going to be obviously a rep Republican you know, representing them. But 
it was just interesting. But I do think it's a little funny. Everyone's talking. I'm not making a straw man. It seems to be something we're all saying is, you know, those who opposed Trump, who support the impeachment, like they're all suffering. They're all losing. It's 10 people, folks. It's 10. The rest of the party. Good luck with this one. The big story here is that, yes, Cheney's, Cheney lost. But, you know, what was perceived as this big push for Republicans to win throughout November um we're starting to see that shift a little bit. One thing I will say there, I, I don't know if I would agree, and I don't want you to answer back, but I would because we got to go to the break. But I, one thing I would push back on a, a smidge because from that nonsensical, uh, stupid statement on her site, which was copy and paste from all of these morons uh, that that is just being sent around. Um, I don't know if that's true of conservative ideology, right? We've had Olivia Troy talk about. What conservatism really means to her, right? As she said it herself, I'm a radical centrist, right? Smaller government, things like that. Certain things that, you know, maybe Reagan followed through on, uh, they always point back to the party of Lincoln, stuff like that, or certain policies that, you know, sent the late great Senator John McCain obviously uh, was, was championing for. So I don't know if, you know, we can wrap true conservative ideology into Harriet Hagman and Carrie Lake and some of these other people that have veered way off the far right cliff. Um, speaking of cliffs, uh, we're going to find out if Live Golf is here to stay or are they going to drive off the cliff? What a, what a transition, Nick. Oh, when we come back after the break, Robert Lucetich, a fantastic golf journalist. I'm telling you, if you don't follow this guy on Twitter, he's one of my favorite people to follow out there in the media space. I mentioned his book at the top of the program about Tiger Woods. You can check out his book. But when we come back after the break, Robert's going to break down everything with Live Golf PGA Tour you've been seeing the news making headlines or even if you have not checked it out go to google right now type in live golfers pga tour you can find out all about it or take a listen to robert when we come back after the break nick the presenting sponsor of can we please talk is fresh roasted coffee since 2009 this pennsylvania company has been making their passion of bringing you Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. More made coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order in eco-friendly smart roasters. They're committed to quality, service, integrity, approachability, and sustainability. I know you've ordered a few packs there. You're going to tell the people because we all know what a big coffee snob you are. I live the K-Cup life, and I've ordered some of the Colombian roast and the breakfast blend. It's delicious. Your take, sir, on Fresh Roasted Coffee, a Pennsylvania-based company for the man in Eastern Pennsylvania who drinks coffee regularly. Yeah, Mike, that's right. You know, 
shop local, right? <laughs> As right. always. Uh, yeah, I just most recently bought the flavored coffee set, which is six different incredible flavors. That's on its way getting shipped. I had that just ground, you know, for when it gets here. Mike, one of my favorite parts is that they allow you to take a, not allow, what am I talking about here? They give you a quiz just to get a sense of your taste. You know, so I took that quiz. I got recommended Sumatra, you know, just a great single origin coffee. But in addition to that, Mike, they have a great section, just the learn section. If you go to their website, freshroastedcoffee.com, there's a just on, when you click down, there's a learn section. For those of you who are not necessarily in the coffee game as deep as Mike and I are, you can learn everything from how to use your French press, how to use a Chemex. So they're, they're not just selling you coffee and tea, by the way, something That's very right. important. You know, a lot of places try to separate these two ancient beverages, not fresh, fresh roasted coffee. Nope. So they have a huge variety of tea as well. My wife's more of a tea drinker than a coffee drinker, so I'm going to be hooking her up. But Mike, it's an awesome company. So many things available on the website. Um, and I think that those who are listeners of the show can benefit from listening to us and purchasing from there, if I'm correct. That's right. Because all you got to do right now, if you're in our show notes page or whatever audio podcast platform you're listening to us, you click the link that's available right there. That link will have a special promo code discount applied to whatever you buy from freshroastedcoffee.com. Head to that link in our show notes page and get in on some of this great tasting coffee today. All right. If you recall, a few weeks back, uh, we were running a poll on our Instagram about should we discuss Live Golf, right? And what is happening between Live Golf and the PGA Tour? So we decided to invite a famous journalist on the program. He is the author of the book Unplayable, an inside account of Tiger's most tumultuous season. He's a journalist all across different golf outlets. And that is Robert Lucetich. Robert, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today. Well, and, and thank you for uh, reminding me about how famous I am. I'd forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I mean, you told me to say that. Uh, so listen, Robert, I, I got a question. Off mic, man. Yeah, off right, mic. Right. Well, that's right. He did say off the record. Um, so I have a question for you at the top because, you know, I, I mentioned to you off air that we're a, kind of a, a news and info podcast. And what we cover is news making headlines, whether or not they enter into the sports realm. We've done a few topics such as, you know, the Brian, the Brian Flores lawsuit with the NFL. And in this particular case, our audience is very interested to understand you know, not only the PGA Tour angle of this, but how this startup league in terms of live golf came to be. So at a 30,000 foot view for the for the people that I like to give them the airplane view here. Can you explain the trajectory of how live golf came to be and this ongoing battle between them and the PGA Tour and what it's over? Yeah, well, I mean, essentially it is a hostile takeover. That's really an, it's an attempted hostile takeover. They're they're. The PGA Tour, which ironically pretty much did the same thing to the old European Tour and the smaller tours in the world, they just basically said we're the we're the we're the, we're the world tour. And then all the great players came here, moved to Florida, didn't pay state tax, and everything was great. Well, over the years, uh, there, there has been some some players who have thought that they should have more say in the way in which the league is structured because you don't have owners like you do in the NFL or in Major League Baseball where the, the commissioner really is representing ownership and the players are a separate sort of entity. The, the players are the owners because they're independent contractors, which ironically 
we'll get to in a minute, but that, that is the core of the argument, which is to say that Liv's argument is to say, if they're independent contractors, they can play wherever they want, and we're going to pay more money for them to come and play with us. And, and so essentially that's, you know, the, the, that's what's happened. Don't look for this to make any financial sense because it makes none. It's essentially the Saudis uh, committing $3 billion, I heard the number to be in, a, to, and that's in the first round of funding, to this idea of getting a seat at the table and a seat at the table right now, there's only one seat at the table, right? It's the PJ Tour. So the problem with this idea of compromise is any compromise is a loss for the PJ Tour because they've, they've got all the marbles. Now, you, you know, they don't, they don't need to share. But ultimately, I, I believe that um, there is, there will end up, I think, being a compromise. But essentially what Liv is saying is that we can do it. We can have another tour. They're not going to wipe out the PJ Tour, but they want 10, 12, 14 weeks a year, and it's going to be their weeks. And the tour, of course, is going to have to explain to 10, 12, or 14 tournament sponsors why there aren't that many big star names at their events. Uh, and, and now these guys are going to ask themselves, well, do I want to write a check for 10 or $12 million when I, 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 you know, I, get, a, I get a lot of journeymen showing up uh, at my event? So there's a lot of there's a lot of you know uh, kind of balls up in the air right now with the way it's been presented. It's been very aggressive. Uh, you know, Phil Mickelson obviously uh, came out as as really along with Greg Norman, the the spokesman for it. And uh, of course, we know that he got got himself into some trouble with some remarks he made to journalist uh, my, my colleague Alan Shipnuck. Um, about the uh, scary MFers that are in Saudi Arabia, and that obviously didn't go over well on either side, on the PJ Tour side or on the on the Live side. So uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lawsuit. Uh, ultimately, I think what Live is going to try to push through is, as I said earlier, 10, 12, 14 weeks a year will be theirs. They'll have their their event, and you can still play on the PJ Tour if you are a member of live golf which right now you cannot robert currently the u.s department of justice is investigating the pga for antitrust violations um what is where what do you make of that you know and is that a is that a viable argument that doj is making about what what's going on with the pga oh it's a very viable argument i mean they're they're like i said you just can't tell someone they're an independent contractor and then when they go to play in an event that's going to pay them serious money like serious serious money and multiples of of uh uh you know two or three times what they they were making on the pj tour and then tell them they can't play and then say now now you can't come back and play on the pj tour so i think that there is there is definitely going to be uh something that that is going to have to change and the pj tour they've got to be aware of it they've got an army of lawyers that, that, you know, they, they know that they've had a cozy little arrangement for a long, long time. So because there hasn't been, it's like, you know, there's not, no one's coming to take on the NFL, right? But what if they did? Um, the closest thing to this that I think we can we can point to is in, in the, uh, the attempt to create a Super League in Europe uh, amongst the football team or soccer teams. But the, the, take the best clubs and then say, why are you 
you know, if you're Barcelona or Bayern Munich or or uh, Juventus, I mean, do you really want to play some little team every every other you know most weeks? How about we just play the big teams and we make big money and we sell huge TV contracts, and then um, uh, you know that that's the sort of model. And and then they've modeled it after Formula One. So there's another sport that has a a, a different approach. Uh, the, this idea, I actually think that the team idea, if they got rid of the stupid uh, Mario Kart names they gave them, um, would actually have some potential because if you could get, let's say, a Red Bull or uh, a Lexus and these, these sponsors come in and, and, and take a team on, um, I think that's got some legs because I think people could get interested in that. That's that's the sort of the, that Ryder Cup type of mentality that that uh, you don't see a lot in golf because it's team play and uh, match play. So I, I think that there's, you know, there, there, there's there's merit in it. But of course, it's been a dog's breakfast, as we say in Australia, in the way it, it has been uh, rolled out. I think they're making stuff up as they go along, which might be the nature of the beast, but still, it doesn't look good. And I think it was just, you know, they had to know when they got involved with Trump and, and putting, you know, going to his courses, and I understand they're looking for courses. They need venues. But they had to know that guy's not taking a back seat. So when he's, you know, when they have the, the event at Trump, Trump Bedminster, is it any surprise that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Tucker Carlson show up and they turn it into a, into a rally? And, and I don't know how that is going to bring, you know, average fans in because it's so polarizing. Whether you're, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, I don't think anybody wants to, wants to golf to get that political. Because it's golf, right? We could we we don't right. need to know your politics. It's just you know this is golf. We like to watch golf. So you know th- th- there are just so many unanswered questions. Robert, you know I wanted to play a clip for you of something I heard earlier today on ESPN's first take as we're recording this, uh, and it was from Stephen A. Smith, obviously, and he gives the best hot takes in the business. And I'm using air quotes <laughs> for people watching on YouTube, but I thought it was a little bit um, not understanding what's in a PGA tour membership and, and why the PGA tour is so opposed to players going to play over there. Let me play the clip for you. And I want to react on the other side. The United States government, their number two trade partner from what I've read is Saudi Saudi Arabia. I'm pretty sure it's safe to say there's U S corporations doing big business with Saudi Arabia. And suddenly individuals are looking to get paid and everybody's in an uproar. I thought this was America. Tiger Woods is sitting there acting like the PGA should be the only game in town. When do we say that? You got the PGA banning cats from participating. You got Tiger Woods supporting feeling like players betrayed the PGA. What you owe the PGA? You work. You produce. You go out there and you earn your money. They don't pay everybody. Winners get paid. Losers don't necessarily get paid. So if you better than live, be better. If Brooks Kepka and, and Bryson DeChambeau and Bubba these boys, when Bubba Watson yeah. and them, with Greg Norman leading the pack, if they want to develop another league and the PGA, go compete with them. Now, Robert, here's, a, here's my problem with that, okay? And I saw somebody put this on Instagram. And I told you, I obviously worked for one of the Tours International properties prior. Um, if, if, if you've been working at a pizzeria for 50 years, and a competing pizzeria opens up across the street and you want to work at both pizzerias and you ask the pizzeria you work at, can I go work over there? And they say, 
No, you either got to work here or there. You can't work here because, you know, we're a private company and they're a private company and we're competing against each other. Am I oversimplifying that? Because that's the way a PGA Tour membership works. Jay Moynihan has said this on the record. You don't need us. I thought you don't need us. So go play over there. Why do you need to do both? Am I oversimplifying it or is it more Stephen A is a little bit more accurate about what he just said there? Uh, first of all, I used to do Stephen A's show quite a bit when I was at Fox Sports, and I can tell you that he doesn't talk like that when he's off, <laughs> when the cameras are off. <laughs> he's quite a reasonable guy. Anyway, um, he, there's no screaming. Um, look, I, I, the point he makes is a valid point. You can't, you know, if you're going to say someone's an independent contractor, then it's as soon as they've come to your event, they can go work in the pizza shop across the road as long as it doesn't, you know, uh, you would you be able to fire the guy just because he works across the road is the question and or prohibit him from working there. And I think that ultimately, uh, you know, this is, again, going back to why is DOJ involved? Because they do look at this and say, well, it's restraint of trade. You could say it's restraint of trade. Now, listen, I've said this from the get-go. The, the, who's getting rich from all of this are lawyers. Uh, and and there, there's going to be some very rich lawyers on both sides because ultimately this is going to end up in the courts and it will be, these questions will be resolved by courts because I don't see the tour changing its view and I don't see Liv changing its view that you, can't, you shouldn't be banning our players just because they've, they've signed a contract to come and play with us. And, and again, there, there's going to be as many, you know, people are going to look at this, the same set of facts and in, in different ways. And, and so far, we've already seen that. And there are plenty of people who, I mean, he's, he's right in the sense that, you know, Tiger took appearance money. He went and played many events uh, around the world and he was paid to go there. And, but the difference is the PGA Tour signed off on it, right? So, what I would like to know is, and this is where I believe it, that we're going to get to a crossroads. If, if Liv does have, let's say, 14 events, you've got to do 15 to be a member of the PGA Tour, right? That's the stipulation. So you're telling me that somebody like Brooks Kepka, who sometimes I wonder if he even likes golf, forget about it, loves it. I think it's just something he does because it makes him money. Or... Um, you know, these guys who are like, oh, this is great. i got more time on my hands now. I'm going to play less golf, make more money. Well, are they going to play 29 events a year? Because they're not allowed to pass on any live events. They have to play them. So the question now becomes, how are you going to get your PGA Tour membership uh, requirement of 15 with that? That's 29 weeks a year. I mean, that's old school VJ Singh who played all the time. I mean, but there's not a lot of guys that do that or want to do that. And, and uh so I wonder how real that is. But again, we, we're so, you know, as, even though we're, we're, you know, we're deep into this process, we've got such a long way to go. The road is, is a long and winding one. And again, filled with lawyers. So who knows the way in which, uh, you know, these things will be resolved. But the history of these things is that there's always a compromise in the end. There'll be a coming together because honestly, the PGA Tour probably thinks they can, Look, they can lose a bunch of guys in their 40s. They're not, they're not really going to, you know, no one's going to miss you know, Paul Casey. I like Paul Casey, by the way. But, you know, these are guys that are – there's a lot of guys past their used by them and where they're not winning majors anymore. They're not, they're not the player they were. 
I mean, that's fine. I don't, I don't see that. I think the problem that Tua has is that they, they don't want their, their people, their, the loyal members, right, looking over and seeing some guy that they've been beating like a drum for the last couple of years just make $4 million playing in a three-day, three-round event with, you know, techno music blaring in the background and, uh, uh, and, 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 and a shotgun start. I mean, it's, it's, you know, that part of it, I just don't personally understand. But again, that's the model that they're going for, this idea of bringing golf to the masses. You know, their front page of their website says golf, but louder. And, and I don't know, maybe I'm just an old guy, but I, I, don't, like, I, I don't like it loud. I like golf as it is. I like to play four rounds. I like to start on the first hole, finish on the 18th green, and I like you know people to, to certainly get excited and cheer. And but no, I don't need techno music. I, you know, I just I don't get it personally. But again, this is something. It's like saying it's like saying to somebody, you've got three billion dollars. Which by the way, the Saudis I think uh, I looked at their Aramco uh, profit margin profit reports, record profits in the second quarter. So. I think it took them all of four days to pay for this live funding. Um, it, so it's it, in a sense, it's monopoly money to these guys. And so I can see somebody saying, well, what do you care? It's their money. Let them throw it against the wall if they want, you know, and people are, are getting paid and, get, and, and, and getting rich along the way. And I, I listen, I do it. It's a free world, but not necessarily in Saudi Arabia. And I think this is where I don't want to hear another word about you know, how this is growing the game of golf. And I, I think that is just completely disingenuous. I don't mind if you say, listen, man, they offered me 15 million bucks and that's a lot of money and I took it. I, I respect that. But, but you have to expect that there will be a price to pay for that. And there will be people who will not like you much for doing it. And, um, you know, there's a mother of two who uh, a couple of days ago was sentenced to 34 years in, in prison in Saudi Arabia for the crime of retweeting that women and girls should have rights. Okay. And so that's what you, that's what you're getting in bed with. Robert, uh, as best as we can transition here, um, there was a, a, a lot of talk last week about the players only meeting that happened with the PGA tour. Some big names, obviously tiger coming in for it. You saw all the memes of, of tiger with the red Sunday shirt on, uh, uh do you know anything that came out of that meeting? What are some proposals that players on the tour, there's talk of maybe boycott? I have said to people that uh, that listen and watch this program or people that follow me on social media, the way this changes is if the, tomorrow morning the Masters says you can't play in this tournament unless you're a previous champion and, and anybody affiliated with Live can't play in the tournament unless they qualify through a PGA Tour method. If tomorrow that happens tomorrow, live goes away within a year. I think you would agree with some of that sentiment. I want to get your take though on like the the the, the players only uh, um, meeting that happened, and then where do you finally see some of this shaking out? You mentioned the compromise, but where do you put your prognosticator hat on uh, a year from now? We ask you back on the show: Is live golf still around? I, I think it will still be around because uh, I don't think they've burned through the three billion yet, and and there might be a second round of funding. Uh, you, you know, the, the, there there are two principals, both Saudis, both very senior in the regime, uh, who are behind this, and they're uh, you know they're golf nuts, so they love golf, and and that ultimately, you know, 
don't underestimate the pull of having people within the within the regime in Saudi Arabia who love to play golf and they want to be they want this to work right so um, as for the players only meeting I mean look I don't think there were I, I was just I know several players uh, were not invited so it was clearly a a, a top end meeting I, I, I think probably a dozen or so players and I think Tiger might have been there a to rally them for sure to to you know stay with the tour show loyalty but I think also that Tiger is seeing this opportunity as a, as as telling the tour you know we've got to change some things like the players advisory council I know players who have been on it and they and and one a major champion said to me it's it's a players advisory council because they advise us of what they're going to do they don't ask us they just tell us what's happening and there's been a lot of resentment over the years about that, especially from the senior players. Media rights is obviously uh, a contentious issue as we, we we move into a new technological age and the players don't feel like they they get control of their media rights that and they feel like they should. Now, does that mean that CBS has to cut a deal with, you know, Bryson DeChambeau every time he's on on, 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 on a tournament? No, that's that's absurd. And, you, and, you, and we shouldn't be looking at that. But should there maybe be, they, they maybe be cut in a little bit more? I would say yes. And obviously, the star players are the ones that feel that they need to be getting paid more. And, and uh, you know, there's one thing that's been, I can tell you about knowing some of these guys, there's a lot of, a lot of the malcontents went to, went to live. And they weren't happy. So they they went there because hey yeah sure it was easy money maybe they're past their, their their prime or whatnot but ultimately they felt that their voice wasn't being heard on the PGA tour and there's truth to that and the PGA tour needs to understand that they're acting like their show is 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 the only show in town and you know you're lucky to be here well you know now it's not the only show in town so I think that you know we're we're it, it, it's it's almost like a, a fever. And golf is in a is is in this is in this fever, and I think the fever will break. But you know, I'm not sure, and I think it's not really ultimately probably not. It's probably not a bad thing because a lot of things needed shaking up, and uh, the, the the PGA Tour didn't need a wraparound year-round schedule. You know that that absolutely was just. I I thought it was. I don't. You know, I never liked it. But what does that do to Asian events? What does that do to us? I'm, I'm Australian. What does that do to the to, to events in Australia? It, it kills them because you, you you can't get people to come. So other parts of the world really suffered from the PGA Tour sort of lording over golf. So you know, look, it's easy to pick on live because they've done things that I think are kind of annoying and wrong and hard and, and just just missed they they just misread the room a lot. But that's not to say that the PGA Tour are the good guys in this either. Very well said there. Uh, Robert Lucetich is a fantastic journalist, reporter. Uh, you could check out all of his work various places online, but also check out his book. He was just talking about Tiger Woods. Check out his book, Unplayable, an inside account of Tiger's most tumultuous season. Robert, I can't thank you enough for coming on the program and educating our audience about this topic. Continued success to you, sir, and please stay safe. Right. You got it. Thanks, boys. 
Nick, today's sponsor of the podcast is 800 Florals. Nick, when was the last time you bought your your wife, your beautiful wife, Laura? When was the last time you bought her flowers? No, it's not recent enough, man. Well, see, there we go. Why, why? And how come? Let's let's get into that. Forget the copy for a second. How come? <laughs> I mean, I buy all kinds of different gifts. Um, so flowers sometimes slips my mind. You know, we do have a rose bush in the back, so I'm like, you know, we got some pretty flowers coming in, but I don't make that intentional pursuit of it though. Okay. I, I, I'm I'm looking to you for ideas though. Okay. Where to go get them? Well, I have one. And folks, you should not copy Nick Zuberi. You should be getting flowers for that special somebody that you love. And let me tell you a little bit about 800 Florals. There are roughly 20,000 professional florists in North America that design and deliver fresh flowers on a daily basis. 1-800-Florals is one of those. They've been around for more than 20 years. You can shop products, occasions, check out flower delivery. You can even arrange a thoughtful gift of monthly flowers for that special someone you heard that nick so you can set on auto subscribe here and get monthly flowers delivered to laura's job and you'll be thought of highly over there now uh all you got to do is head to our show notes page right now to find out more about 800 florals there's a link in our show notes page it'll take you right to them use that link and you're going to get a special discount when you check out and buy those fresh flowers check out 800florals.com today Our thank yous there to Robert Lucetich. Uh, like I mentioned, his book is really good. I actually have a copy of the book. Uh, it's it's unplayable, an inside account of Tiger's most tumultuous season. Uh, he was formerly at Fox Sports. He's worked at a couple different places in the golf industry. You men- He mentioned it there. Um, Nick, you know, obviously, I know you're a little bit of a golf neophyte in terms of not only playing, but maybe understanding some of this. I, I truly think, just for my high-level take on this, um, you know, a, a competitive league that does in-season events, you know, uh, compared to like the big boy, um, you've seen that only like maybe two or three other times across the major sports, right? You've seen it with the CBA trying to compete with the NBA or ABA as well back in the day. And you've seen it with like the USFL, right? And and the NFL. Um, those leagues aren't around anymore. Right. Uh, I mean, that's just those are just facts Um, in terms of this, though. I thought there were some interesting things that Robert said there about a couple of the guys on the Saudi Arabia side that are at least as part of the government are big into golf. So they they feel like and the funding part of this is something that I haven't even, you know, uh, researched. But the fact that they've gotten several rounds of funding already cleared, they they probably could pay for this in perpetuity and they like it. So there's no stopping this. Right. And the tour maybe needs to make some changes. Uh, I know they, I would say this just as a golf fan and a golfer myself, they do need to make some rule changes. There are some archaic rules. And he just mentioned about the player advisories committee doesn't really have any players advising it. (laughs) So um, I don't know how all of this nets out. Uh, I think it makes for good fodder. And we're going to find out how the court system plays out here with a bunch of different lawsuits that are still up in the air from Phil Mickelson and 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 uh, about 10 players on the live side still suing the PGA Tour to try to get access to play back on the tour. And that's my high level point. I, I, I take it back to that pizza shop analogy. You can't work here if you've been working here for forever and you don't want to go work at a competing place. I'm not stopping you from going to work at the competing place, but you can't double dip, like find another pizzeria that you want to double dip at. Um, your takeaways on on everything we talked about with Robert there, and and the topic overall about about live golf and, and the PGA Tour battle. Yeah, I mean at the macro level, this is an interesting conversation about owner like 
dominance in sports, you know, from a league standpoint. Um, historically, as you mentioned, you know, a couple of examples that we've seen of of upstart leagues trying to take on, you know, the establishment, right? Like we saw this back with baseball, ultimately leading to the formation of the American League and the National League, right? You know, with football, with the USFL, the original version, I mean, what you're seeing play out now is just a bastardized version of what once was a good idea until Donald Trump basically tanked it. That's not me talking. That's shout to Jeff Perlman. Uh, football for a buck. Good book. Good book to read about the USFL. But that league tried to, you know, had a good place to stay outside the NFL schedule. When it went up against the NFL, it just, you know, effectively was just killed. Um, this analogy comes to me with the American Football League. You know, most famously, the AFL teams like the Jets, the Raiders, the Chargers, um, the response they had to the to the National Football League was, well, let's just go get good players. Right? Like Al Davis was known for this, like sign guys to more expensive contracts, bring people over the ABA. Same thing. You saw guys, you saw players that like Julius Irving is a good example um, that were just prominent, but the NBA wasn't paying enough and had rules about, you know, coming out of college and such. So upstart leagues found ways to draw people in. Live does that through money. It's the most common way. But you know, one of the things that Robert brings up is like, I mean, he said something really interesting about sensibility. And Mike, you as a golfer, you know this better than most. There are certain traditions, there is a culture to golf that when you broadcast when you try to advertise as golf but louder. If you're anyone who's ever been to a golf tournament, obviously we we stay quiet. Like that's kind of how this works. Same in tennis. You know, Liv's whole idea is trying to punk rockify golf. And to the the dedicated viewer, uh, folks like yourself, I don't know if that is what draws you in. You know, something we didn't get into with Robert is the numbers right now bear out to say that the streaming presence for Liv, streaming attendance, isn't great. So while the money train for you know, for Saudi Arabia could potentially seemingly seems endless from Robert's reporting. How much do you continue to invest in if you're not pulling away enough from the PGA? Or is this just really a matter of, you know, they're Saudi officials who love the game and have money, so they'll keep going through it. I like your point about the about the pizza shop. Um, because that's that it seem that seems fair. <laughs> you are a contracted employee, you decide to go off somewhere else. Um, you can, but you know, and again, good analogy by you. Double dipping isn't an option. You right. know, and for Stephen A to say, "Well, this is America," yeah, and in America we have companies and we have contracts. That's that's kind of part and participle here. So, you know, one thing I will say on the Stephen A front, uh, Stephen A needs to check his contract. There's a non compete in there. Uh, if he if he takes a look, uh, he'll notice that there's one in there. So for him to make that comparison, uh, anyway, as we transition into our final segment here, as you hear. The melodic sounds of boys to men and the smooth the soothed sounds smooth sound excuse me of Wanye morris Wanye, sean nathan and michael a lot of people forget about michael but anyway uh we bid adieu to another another show nick that's been around for a long time uh and it recently just ended as cnn is canceling reliable sources their sunday show that's on 11 o'clock and brian stelter who's been hosting the show for a while now uh he will be leaving the network He's drawn the ire of a bunch of different people across the media sphere, including you and I. We we uh, sometimes watch that show. There's a, a a Fox show that's a comparison of it called um, Media Sources, I believe it is. And, you know, it really is supposed to be uh, similar to kind of what we do in terms of media literacy, right? And educating people on the way the media is covering certain events. And then sometimes there's interjecting 
of politics into there and maybe some experts that will come on in different perspectives. For example, Kate Smith from Planned Parenthood actually was on Reliable Sources one time to talk about what things look like in a post-row world. So I want to play for you, though, Nick, uh, before we bid adieu to Mr. Stelter and whatever he does in his next endeavor, uh, some of his highs and lows from his time hosting Reliable Sources on CNN. Take a listen to this montage. On Friday, a caller to C-SPAN said he's going to shoot me and Don Lemon if he sees us. What will historians say about this moment? How will history books record this time? Well, nobody knows for sure, but I think we've already seen heroes emerge and also some villains in the midst of this pandemic. The major networks did not carry Donald Trump's Saturday night rally. Even Fox News ignored it. But Fox is serving the ex-president's agenda in lots of other ways. Reporters likened the rally to a revenge tour, and Fox sure knows revenge. Glenn, a lot to get to. I, I know I mentioned before the break that you put on that Make America Great Again hat recently. You were trying to say something about the news media's coverage of him, about all the criticism of him. What were you trying to say? Yeah, that you, you, have, you have become me circa 2009. Um, is that a compliment? Wait, is that a compliment? It. No, it's, no, it's not. To understand why so many Republicans have abandoned democracy, to see why so many believe the big lie, to get why so many are trying to rewrite voting rules, you have to hear the poisonous propaganda that the GOP's activist base is listening to. All right. So you heard a little bit of that there. Obviously, don't wish death threats on anybody. Um, some of the clips there, if you didn't know the voice that he was interviewing there was Glenn Beck, um, who's the CEO of The Blaze. And um, I thought that was funny <laughs> what Glenn said to him. You're me circa 2009. Um, I, I want to get some of your takeaways, though, of Stelter's show overall what CNN was trying to do with that program, you know, at 11 a.m. And then him, he's drawn the ire of a lot of former journalists, current people that are in the biz. Um, I'm I'm very big on, just for me as somebody that's worked in news, I'm very big on not ignoring the other outlets, but a show dedicated to how the media is covering news, but you don't cover how your network is doing it is kind of disingenuous, right? Um, there used to be this thing when I worked at HBO, real sports would always get killed because the one sport they wouldn't touch is boxing. And why? Because HBO at the time was the premier boxing uh, channel and, and the pay-per-view numbers and the different fighters that they had in their roster. And at the time, bunch of controversies, right? But did real sports do exposés on those? No, they did them around the other sports. So I find it to be a little bit disingenuous. I get the overall theme of that. But when there's conflict of interest, right, then are you going to cover something with fairness uh, and balance, right? Uh, we always hear those words thrown around there in the media circles. Give me some of your takeaways first from the montage we played and then and then Stelter and, and the Reliable Sources show overall. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I, it's funny when we were talking earlier this week, because normally Brian did get on my nerves and it, it's a little for the reason that you had talked about, um, you know, don't <laughs> something about like throwing stones when you live in glass houses. Right. Um, Stelter reminded me of and, and he's not the only one, but we've seen people that, you know, allegedly are, are reporting. 
you know, and um, and they work for these media networks and they're conservative reporters. And but in the end, when you look at when you observe their work, you realize they're not really reporting; they're just spreading gossip, um, or they're basically not hot takey ish. But um, there's nothing really substantial to what they're saying, and that that was that was Stelter's problem. Uh, most recently, he put out a book called Hoax, you know, criticizing the Fox News channel, and and that's fine. Like, listen, we've seen people, I mean, you and I, a book you and I read years ago um, from Bernard Goldberg, who had been previously with CBS. Um, I forget, Bias, I think bias. was the name of the book. Yeah, Bias. I forget if that was on the syllabus of, of our journalism class or just a book you and I both encounter. And we said this is actually pretty interesting stuff. Um, like, Stelter just, Stelter was stilted. <laughs> It was very slanted toward uh, an anti-Fox bias. Um, you know, pulling back the lens a little bit. You know, one thing we're seeing with CNN, more specifically with Warner Brothers Discover, Discover Warner Discovery, I think it's the name of the company now. Um, you know, their pursuit is to have CNN to be a news channel. You know, not to be antagonistic to other news networks. Um, and you know, that, I'm saying this is not necessarily a perception. This is what insiders, you know, have been talking about. Uh, there's a professor at NYU who was quoted in the rap breaking this down that you know where CNN's trying to go is to not take on other news channels, but to simply report the news. You know, to be essentially almost like just vanilla, just tell it like it is. You know, what we give credit to organizations like Reuters for, right? Well, here's Brian Stelter, who is using a show that's critical, that's supposed to be, you know, objective and critical of the media, but it normally just goes after the other channel, which happens to be the news channel that's kicking everyone's ass in that space, right? Um, he just seemed out of, out of touch. What's interesting is the cancellation of the show. The show's been around for a long time. Small irony. At the exact same time that show comes on Sunday mornings, for those who used to watch it, I used to watch it occasionally, um, is Media Buzz. You know, over at Fox, and the host for Media Buzz is Howard Kurtz, who used to be the anchor or the lead for reliable sources on CNN. So here's your for- here's the former guy at allegedly the Enemy Network, who's pulling better numbers, who's arguably doing a more Mike. I'll, I'll you know shed a little light on what you were saying. Like it's not the most entertaining person. Boring, I think, was what you, you know you had shared, and that's valid. You know, like I've listened to Howard Kurtz before. But boring, objective, and truly just an open discussion about the way things are covered. Brian was way too slanted in a direction that that, that sometimes seem, sometimes seem cartoonish. You and I have been critical of Fox on this on this show, but we do from an informed place. And oftentimes, Brian really, uh, my experience was that it was just generating what seemed to be a very trite criticism of a news channel that. You know, from the hours of eight ten, it's valid, but um, just seemed uninformed. And that book that came out, I didn't do him any favors. So, with you know, Warren Discovery making some major changes to CNN, hence the removal of CNN Plus, um, Brian just didn't seem to be a fit there. Yeah, um, a bunch there, but we got to leave it there because um, you know I could talk about this topic all day. And 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 I go back to what you just said. I, I come at the Fox angle because I was in the building, right? And I'm sure he's. He's never been in the Fox building. So I, I'm, I'm very critical of people criticizing other people, but you don't criticize internally as well. So uh, we'll find out where Brian lands uh, in the coming weeks for in the coming weeks for our show. We've got some great topics and discussions that we're going to be having uh, with different people that are coming on the program. But video, you want to catch the YouTube channel. 
can we please talk podcast type it in there or just type in can we please talk and you'll see some of our video interviews just like we did one with robert usetich in the last segment audio podcast platforms you know them by now apple spotify google check us out leave us a five-star review and comment please shout out to our buddy john in chicago who recently left a great comment on that we'll read that review another time we got a wrap here john i'm sorry for that uh shout out to our hosting play platform acast we can't do it without them and we can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program writes in however you text dm whatever it is you follow us wherever on social media we really thank you good bad or indifferent as always i'm mike leon and i'm mix very have a good one everybody ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 